moderator for this talk. Uh, before we get started, a little, I'd like to remind I'd like to remind you folks to uh, turn off your cell phones, pagers, electronic devices, etc., etc. Uh, just a reminder that the, both the talk and the Q&A session will be recorded and available on SACPA's website. Uh, the talk will be recorded by Shaw and will be made available, will be broadcast on their channel several times a day for the next week or so. Just a uh, reminder, please put your, uh, the $14 for lunch into the glass bowls and if you can have somebody at the table Please count the bowl uh, so that we, uh, we can be sure that the correct amount of money is in there. That would be fantastic. Uh, just a quick, few quick notes about the format. It will be approximately half an hour each for the presentation, lunch, and then for the question period. And we will be finished at around 1.30 this afternoon. Okay. With all the uh, basic business out of the way, I would like to turn your attention to the speaker for this afternoon. Sabrina Hacker is the FASD Adult Justice and Community Outreach Program Coordinator at Peak Support Services. Sabrina worked in local law enforcement as the dangerous dog officer for 11 years. Sabrina became certified member of the NACA at level three and was recognized as being the highest trained officer in Canada. In 2004, Sabrina went back to school majoring in justice studies and corrections. Upon graduating, Sabrina was approached to create a diversionary justice program that would identify the struggles FASD clients face in mainstream justice. Once identified, the program develops a case plan, connects with community partners, and works collaboratively excuse me, to reduce recidivism. Okay. That's all I have to say. I will turn the mic over to Sabrina. Thank you very much. Folks, thanks for being here. Um, are we getting some feedback on the mic, or am I okay to stand louder, closer? Kiss it. You can turn me up. Okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I am a pacer, so standing in one spot is going to be difficult for me. So if I venture a little too far, yell at me or throw tomatoes, and I'll get I'll get back in in place here. So thanks for, for joining me this afternoon. I was not at all prepared um, for this many people, and you can all blame Ross. Ross said, I, I'm part of this little group. There's a few of us that show up once in a while. Do you, do you want to pop in? Maybe tell people what you do. So that's the warning that I, I'd gotten, or the information I'd gotten. And then I got here and was told the truth. I'm going to be filmed. The room's going to be full. So. Forgive me if I muddle through this a little bit. I work with the um, Adult FASD Justice Program. FASD stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. There are two justice programs here in Lethbridge. There is a newly appointed constable who is, is running the youth program now, and I, of course, run the, the adult program. We are part of the South Alberta FASD network which is one of 12 networks across the province funded by the Cross Ministry Committee. Used to be under the 10-year strategic plan. 
that plan ran out about two years ago, but they've just kept it going because they, I guess they're liking what they're seeing, so it is still under the cross-ministry committee. This handsome fellow right up there is our pride and joy. This is Hudson. We are the only group to have a therapy dog working, and I gotta show him off just a little bit. He's the most competent member of the staff. And I've said, I, I am not going to um, push an opinion on you. Today I want to look at this. I believe you are all educated individuals who this um, struggle for, of FASD into the limelight a little bit more. Okay, so we want to look at what are we doing? What financially does this issue look like? What does this look like for the individuals with an FASD? Um, are, we, are we going about this the right way? So that's kind of where I want to head this conversation this afternoon. For those of you that may not know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is a brain-based disability. You can only be affected with FASD if mom consumed alcohol during her pregnancy. And there are lots of studies that say, well, if a father is either affected um, with the disability himself or if he was intoxicated uh, during the time of conception, will that have any effect? The short answer is yes. We do know that there are different areas that the uh, roles that the father will play in that child's development, but they're not going to be called full-blown FASD because of anything associated with the father. Okay. So for the purpose of this, we're not going to get into a whole lot of details around it. We're going to say FASD can only be diagnosed through alcohol being consumed by the mother prenatally. Okay, so we're gonna move on with that. Um, I will just say one more thing is although it is typically known as a brain-based disability, it actually affects the entire body. And uh, sometimes we'll see individuals with hearing problems, with digestive problems, with um, almost like an arthritis, problem with their joints, problems with bone and stuff development. So again, that's all FASD 101 conversation and I don't, I don't wanna get into that fully. For this purpose, I want you all to know that brain-based typically, but it does affect the entire body and you can only be diagnosed if mom prenatally drank. So, what we want to look at is we know early assessment is key to diagnosis. We are getting to that, that point. I should add, I'm not a reader. I, I'm assuming everybody here can read, so I'm not going to read this for you. I'm going to talk while you kind of look around. And so if I'm going too fast and you say, I didn't read all that, please yell at me and I'll, I'll slow down. Um, so getting back to the, the topic here. Um, FASD is going to uh, affect cognitive uh, abilities primarily in an individual. And so what that means is the, that person's ability to make good choices, to understand that this action will have this consequence is impaired, okay? Now you can imagine in our justice system what that's gonna look like. If I shoplift this candy can I say, I am going to get caught by loss prevention, they're going to probably call the police, I'm gonna to have to end up in court, um, that could result in a fine. Everything beyond I want this candy cannot be comprehended by FASD individuals necessarily, 
And I say necessarily because that's not true for everybody. This is very much an individual disability and everybody's gonna function at a different level. That's why we say it's on a spectrum, okay? But generally, we know they have this cognitive struggle with associating the action with the consequence. The end result is we end up with a whole bunch of people in the justice system, okay? Being charged, going to court, going through a process that on its own is very complicated. And we compound that complex situation by typically adding more to that individual's outcome. And what I mean by that is quite often what we'll see is you committed an offense, you went to court, and we do things like we give them probation orders. Now, if you were not able to understand what happens when you steal a candy bar from a store, are you gonna be able to understand the 10 or 15 conditions that are given on a probation order? Okay, so are, are we going about that the right way? And, and I'm not gonna tell you yes or, or no, um, because I, sometimes we do need that probation order. Sometimes we need a modified probation order. Sometimes we need to have probation taken out of the picture altogether. Okay, now those are for lighter sentences, obviously. As we go up the severity in, in justice, um, and we start looking at jail and in, incarceration for this person for their offense, the basics doesn't really change, okay? That, is that punishment effective for that individual? And that's what we're talking about today. All right, so what kind of people are we looking at? What kind of volume? All right, um, we as society, I believe, we're under the impression that this is a pretty simple issue. If you develop this disability because mom has consumed alcohol, well, we just need to stop all these moms from consuming alcohol, and then the problem is solved. Okay, that is what it looks like on the surface. Um, underneath it all, what we forget to address is that if you have been an alcoholic since the age of 10, 11, 12, because of early childhood trauma or ongoing trauma, and you have turned to drugs and alcohol as a means of that escape, and you've now been an addict for so many years, are you able, physically able, to stop drinking now because you're pregnant? Okay, so that's, that's one of the, the major issues that we look at. No woman who has been an addict for so long goes to the doctors and says, oh, I'm pregnant? I'm now not an alcoholic. I'm now not an addict. Does not work that way. So are we addressing the proper needs? Do we have in our society ways that women can safely come without judgment and without uh, having the stigma around them to say, I don't want to harm my baby, but I cannot stop drinking. So do we have those supports? Okay, we want to we wanna look at that. And that's a very important issue. We want to look at are we educating the general public about alcohol and pregnancy? Most women, if you have a look at this slide here, most women aren't pregnant, um, aren't planned pregnancies. They, and this goes for people in my own field, own support, support workers who know how, um, how devastating it can be to consume alcohol, they have come and said, oh my gosh, we were out at that party and, and I drank a lot and I 
found out like two weeks later I was pregnant. What, what have I done to my baby? So, I mean, these are educated women who know about this issue, but it didn't cross their mind at the time. So are we doing enough to make sure that that message is constant, that that message is out there that says, if there is a chance you could become pregnant, please be on birth control or don't drink. Okay, that, that is a whole nother issue. Can we do more? Can we present that more? Okay, this is getting a little bit wordy on this slide and I apologize. Um, Ross and I said, well, can we pull some more information out of it? To summarize all of this, FASD costs a lot of money, a lot of money and a lot of resources. Okay, so, <sighs> I'll just give you a quick number. A, a person affected will cost between three and five million dollars in their lifetime. That's what the, it's going to cost taxpayers to support this person. Okay, that's a lot of money. So for every birth that we can successfully, um, or pregnancy we can successfully get through where alcohol isn't introduced, how many dollars did we save? So I like to tell people, even if you do not care, you do not like other individuals, you do not care about this issue or people with disabilities whatsoever, you probably care about where your tax dollars are going or how, uh, how are we dealing with this. Well, you look at these numbers. We're not dealing with it well. Okay, This is too costly. We have got to take stronger steps. Um, we want to do what's right. We want to support these individuals and we want to get the biggest bang for our bucks. Does that make sense? So that kind of summarizes this, this slide. Every person that we can save, every pregnancy that we successfully get through that doesn't end up in an FASD diagnosis saves us a considerable amount of money. Okay. So we want to look at that social return of investment and that's basically it. Are we getting the, the bang for our buck? I'm just going to take a quick drink here, please. Thank you. The, the, probably the most important part of the slide is right at the bottom here. You may not see that. But basically, um, it, it just recaptures what I just said. Is for every dollar that is being spent to support, if we can deliver a healthy baby, we are making that money back twofold sometimes. Okay, so the, some of the processes that we are going through right now with the FASD networks and the strategic planning, it, it's working. Um, so for those of you that, that may wonder, um, why would we spend these, these amounts of dollars on this particular issue? It's because it is cost saving in the end. That sort of summarizes this. We, we know that FASD, super costly, supports much less expensive, we are getting that bang for our buck, and that's our social return on investment. Okay. So is there a simpler way of, of doing this? Do we need supports? And this is going to be the primary um, focus for this afternoon's meeting is if these people, these individuals affected, are so costly, and when I say costly, we are adding it all together in terms of um, supports to help them simply exist. We like to call supports in these lives external brains, okay? Somebody to help you navigate the system. 
But we're also talking about the cost of um, medications. We're talking about medical care in general. A lot of individuals will end up in a psych unit for evaluations at a cost of around $10,000 a day. Okay? Now, if it's gotten to that point, just, just an example, again, not to push a, a point to say support's better than, than anything else, but if instead of ending up in the psych unit at $10,000 a day, what we had was a support worker who on average makes about $18 an hour, who could have taken that individual and got them a doctor's appointment, help them stay on medication, help them to stabilize their behavior so that it did not become extreme and they ended up in, in the hospital. Isn't that a cost-saving measure? So what about jail? Well, they can get medical care in jail, right? The cost here is, is roughly an average of what it costs to incarcerate an individual. That doesn't include the roughly $40 an hour we pay a police officer to go out and deal with a, a crime, with an offense. It doesn't cost the cover of administration to process that paperwork and then send it into the courthouse where there's an additional cost. And then tie up our court system um, and our legal aid system. A lot of individuals I deal with are on AISH, which means that's assured income for the severely handicapped. And because that income is relatively low, they qualify for legal aid, which is a subsidy program that, uh, again, our, our province provides. So we're looking at not just this per day to incarcerate. We are looking at that entire justice system coming around with their own dollar figures. It far, far exceeds what we could have done to simply support to simply have an external brain attached to that individual. The outcome then is, and this is statistically speaking, this isn't my opinion, the outcome then is we have stable, productive individuals that can join our workforce, that can become taxpayers, that can be a contributing member rather than a drain on our social system. Their quality of life has gone up. Personally, that means a lot to me. I want to know that that person it just isn't being guided through a system, but they have a life. And with a little help, we can make that happen. Or do we incarcerate? Because I'm also a single mom, a taxpayer, a homeowner. Is my neighborhood safe, on the other hand? Are these individuals with brain damage that maybe chronologically 19, 20, 21 years old, but developmentally 11, 12, some cases lower, running around my city, breaking into cars, breaking into homes, committing disastrous offenses. I want to be safe. So here's the dilemma. Should we put them in jail so that we feel safe and we know they're contained? And really, that, maybe jail's not so bad, right? It's daily meaningful activity. You're being fed, you're being housed, you're pro being provided medical attention, right? And we don't have to worry. Or do we risk society in hopes of they'll be connected with supports, they'll be able to find jobs, they'll be able to live lives in the public? This is a constant ongoing struggle. And again, I'm not giving you the answer to that. You're all intelligent people. 
Where are we going to go? How are we going to manage this? We know that our individuals end up in jail. They are significantly higher amounts of individuals with FASD in our justice system. It's just the reality. Is it because we don't care? I, partially, that could be it. Right? Some people just don't care. You're on the street. I don't care. Take my tax dollars. It's worth it to me. Um, sometimes it's because they're not diagnosed. That's, they've skipped through it. FASD is a relatively new disability. It's something that we're constantly learning about. And so as a result, so many people got missed. And now their life of crime has, has begun. And we labeled them bad rather than they didn't understand or we created a system that they couldn't navigate. So we end up with a high volume of individuals in our justice system. So much more higher. We talk about First Nations being overrepresented, overrepresented in justice. It's true with FASD as well. Okay? We, so we know this is the default system. So how can we go about this? Well, data has suggested, as I stated, that it is a more proactive approach that we need to take. We need to be looking at this system and say, let's get rid of stigma. Let's start protecting these moms. Let's start getting them the, the services that they need so that we can manage their alcoholism and give birth to a healthy child. Okay? We know that if a child is born and is on the spectrum, they're going to need some assistance. Hopefully not in the justice system. Hopefully we're going to identify that sooner. We need to do this earlier in life. We need to be looking at these grade one, two, three students and saying, okay, this, this, this is an issue. And what are we going to do about it? And how can we provide them with that structure and that support to guide them and not drop them when they turn 18. We have a system that says, you're 18, you're an adult now. Off you go. Good luck with that. And, and they fall through cracks, right? They cannot function necessarily on their own as adults because developmentally, they're 8, they're 9, they're 10. So we've got to develop more systems to pick them up before they fall, okay? When they are in the justice system, because everybody's going to interface with the justice system on, on some level if, if you are FASD and you are left unguided. You're going to fall in there. What can we do to make that system, and this is my job, to make that system understandable, to come up with a consequence that is meaningful? We see this a lot. We see the boy that stole the candy goes into court and he's given a fine. And a lot of this happens without conversation with him. His, his lawyer, his duty counsel representative is going to talk to a crown, somebody he's never met, and they're going to come up with what this consequence should look like. And they're going to come back to him and tell him that this is what's being done. And this person has no concept about any of this. And so when, when the lawyer is standing there going, this is a good idea, you should do this, you're nodding. Therefore, this individual goes, well, you must know. You're a lawyer. You seem like, I'm going to agree. I'm going to take this. Okay, well, at the end of the day, you got a fine. Okay, you going to pay that fine? Yeah, sure, no problem. If you're on H, your money comes from this unknown source, goes into your bank account. You're given a fine, goes out 
to some unknown source. How did you relate that, I'm sorry, how did you relate that to stealing the candy bar? It's gone, it's abstract, it's not working for this group, okay? What's working is you stole the candy bar. A staff member was there to say, uh-uh, put that back. We pay for things. Do you have money? No, you don't have money? Okay, let's, let's work on getting you some money. Or you do have money, we're gonna pay for this, okay? Or the staff didn't see it. And on the way out the door, loss prevention catches you. That staff member should be there saying, we're gonna fix this. My rule in my program is mess up, fess up, fix up. So if I'm that support staff and you've been caught shoplifting, one, we're gonna go back and we're gonna pay that store. You're gonna write an apology letter and say, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to take that, I just wanted something sweet. You're gonna to volunteer to maybe come back to that store and shovel the sidewalk as your staff that, remember when you stole the candy bar? Well, now we're out here in minus. If you spray painted a wall, we're gonna go out there, we're gonna fix that wall. We're gonna fix it and we're gonna make it right. That's how we guide, that's how we support. Now I know everybody's out there, well, we've got some serious, serious offenses. Principles are the same. We're gonna make it right. We're gonna do everything we can to and build those neural pathways to changing that behavior, okay? These individuals, that has to be an option too because sometimes the offense is so great. Helping you along, how are you gonna ever associate what you did? But um, the justice system, essentially, to keep you in it if you have FASD, all right? And then we talked about that. If you were given a probation order, you, you now have 10, 15 chances of screwing up on other things. Okay, that's what a probation order is. It's like, a, here's 10 things that you guys are you're gonna stumble over and we're gonna keep you in the justice system on a breach. Okay, report to your probation officer. Perfect example. Did anybody ask if this person can tell time? Step one, right? Abstain from drugs and alcohol. Well, they've been an alcoholic. Why, why would we say that? You, now it's a court order and we're just telling you because now it's a court order, you should stop drinking? doesn't work, okay? We set them up to fail and keep them back in the justice system. So that system needs to be looked at, okay? I, I'm gonna kinda, I, I'm getting the hurry up and stop talking look from Ross. Um, I, I'm gonna leave you with a couple of, of questions to just kinda ponder, all right? One being, if our justice system is based on specific and general deterrence, and you don't have the ability to associate the offense with the outcome, is that an effective system? Is it a cost-saving measure? It's not, but I'm gonna let you guys decide that on your own, okay? Should we put more dollars into the justice or from the justice system into supports? Should we balance this somehow by saying, you know what, I kept this many people out of jail I'd save the justice system this many dollars, shouldn't they give back into human services to keep that going, to keep diverting people, okay? Or is there simply so many issues around this topic, so many obstacles to overcome that we have just decided that jail is the simplest solution? We have a community inclusion policy in Alberta that says we no longer have institutions where we we place people with developmental disabilities. We don't do that anymore, right? But really, did we get rid of it? 
when this many people are incarcerated in our system, is jail just another facility where we send people we can't manage in the public? So that's, that's where I'm going to leave you guys. And, and hopefully I didn't get up on a soapbox and start preaching at all. I tried to avoid that. But I, I'm very passionate about this issue. And um, I'm not going to shy away from any questions. So think it over. Have a great meal. And uh, we'll get down and talk about some questions and possible solutions after that. Thank you.